Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Formula One Fans UK podcast. I'm Reese, and I'm joined today by Chris, Dan, and Tim. How's everyone doing today? Depressed, Not bad, yeah. I? Doing good. Oh, good. Good. We enjoy testing. Yeah, it, it, it was definitely eventful. I watched a lot of it. I watched. I reckon I. Yeah. Between 20 and 21 of the 24 hours of track time, I reckon I've watched across the three days. I felt guilty if I had to change channel. Yeah. It has that effect on you, the return of Formula One, doesn't it? Yeah. I think it's the fact that there is such in-depth coverage now. It's not just a let's hide them away in Spain and no one can see and just wait till you get to the first race of like, hey, we've got this. Yeah, I think I must have watched every single bit I could on the weekend and I got up early before work to watch it on Friday as well, just to see the cars going out on track and I was so happy when they came straight out the pit lane as well. There was no sitting around and waiting for an hour like they usually is in Barcelona. It's a case of, no, let's just get out there and go. I've only got three days to do it in. I heard that you got really bored and fell asleep. <laughs> I had my vaccine. Today. I felt awful and I, I fell asleep during testing. You missed the most interesting qualifying battle that F1 has had for several years between Yuki Tsunoda and Max Verstappen. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's all, they start putting less and less fuel in our cars to make our driver look better. I mean, we all, we all did our predictions and we went for McLaren fastest, Alpine fastest, Lance Stroll for some reason fastest. Not yeah, sure. But we weren't we weren't completely far off with Alpine. They were like four fastest, but the most laps run by Mercedes, well, that was a fail. That doesn't worry me because if whatever's gone on with Mercedes, they're quick enough to fix it. I, I think know. the lack of the lack of running doesn't worry me for Mercedes. The instability mostly in the car when it was running is what Mercedes will be worried about, I think. Yeah, their instability was leading the oversteer. And Hamilton has always said he died driving a car with oversteer. I've heard that people keep um, referring to Hamilton as the new Sebastian Vettel because he keeps spinning around all the time. Damn twice. It was Carlos Sainz who struggled the most. But to be fair, there was only, what, six or seven spins the whole weekend? There weren't many, which was good for me because one of my predictions did come true and that was Sebastian Vettel would not spin. Granted, <laughs> Sebastian Vettel didn't really get on track. You can't spin when you're not racing. We mentioned the condensed format and the fact they went out there straight away. I think less testing is giving the fans a lot more going forward if they stick with that format. Yeah. With testing, you've got the uh, technology now to know, oh, this is how this should work. All you're really testing is if the car is reliable. And going into next season, it's not like they're changing anything dramatically with uh, how the cars run. It's all aerodynamic changes next season. Yeah, the the engines and the power units are staying the same. You've already got a team, I can't think who it was, this season. I think it's Haas. Haas, that's right. I've already wrote off this season, said they're working on here. Yeah, they're like, I mean, they're writing off 2021. What do you think, though? Obviously, you've brought in two new drivers, and their first year is a write-off. I think it's good in the sense of it'll get them in the routine with the travel. The drivers get in, they learn all the circuits. They've got absolutely no pressure placed on them. Ah, uh, yeah, I, yeah, that's that, that's that's a good point. I, I suppose if your team's writing off the season, there's no expectation for you, I guess. Yeah, they'll get they'll get a good feel for it. But I think on track, this could be the worst performing team we've seen on track since the HRT team. Mm. Oh God! At some point early season where they're going to be 
Cutman fine with 107% rule. I don't see them stopping them racing. Maybe if just Mazepin falls short of the 100%. <laughs> uh, but if, if Mick falls short of it, I think they'll let him race. Yeah, on the they did get a lot of running in that. They were the third or fourth most laps across uh, the fifth, it was the fifth most fifth? lap they did. Fifth? Yeah. There's a fifth most laps, but they, they ran some mega since it's not as mega as Kimmy. I think on the uh the final day of testing, I think Kimmy Raikkonen did over three race distances. Yeah, he did like hundred and sixty seven laps on the last yeah. day, wasn't it? Something like that. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's fifty three laps in the, when you're doing the Bahrain Grand Prix. Yeah. But at least we know that it, the car's reliable. Yeah, there was not many much in the way of breakdowns. I mean, the red flags that came out there, signs breaking down, Hamilton spinning, Perez exploding, and the rest of them were Michael Massey being bored. <laughs> Looking at the timing of that Ferrari breakdown, I I did wonder at the time whether it was a fuel drain. I think, like like Chris said, maybe they were running a bit light on the fuel, trying to eke out that last bit of fuel mileage, and they kind of just got it wrong. Or even Le- Leclerc's got a heavy foot, and he just likes to go fast and doesn't give a what the fiery mechanics think. <laughs> yeah, but it's, 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 to be fair, I wouldn't listen to Ferrari mechanics and strategist fever after the last few years. So. <laughs> oh, hell no. <laughs> hell no. And we're off the air in Italy. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. You don't, you don't talk about the guard. It's a no good. It's a no good car. Nicky Lauda called it and it won in two world championships. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's a piece of no, it's a Ferrari. You can't say that. <laughs> I do like that they have brought back the darker red at the back of their no, car to no, match the maroon livery. You know when you run out of ink on a printer, it looks like that. <laughs> <laughs> it's just all the colours have gone wrong. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, testing big surprises for me would be Sonoda. Looking quite an accomplished little driver. Only two things shorter than Yuki Sonoda's lap times, and they were Max Verstappen's lap times and Yuki Sonoda himself. <laughs> but for someone to come into Formula One and, and start banging them out consistently. Yeah, but also... he is generally a good driver, though. You yeah, can't he's... take that away from him. He's a very solid driver. He, he finished. Where did he finish in the. Uh, is it fourth he finished in GP2 or Formula 2 last season? Yeah, I think it was because. Yeah, because uh, it was yeah, because it was Schumacher. Schumacher, Schumacher no, won it. Schwartzman. Did he win it? Did he? I lot was there somewhere. I was second. Then it was Schwartzman. Then it was Sonoda. I, there was someone, and then it was Mazepin. I think was sixth. Yeah, I think I was thinking about Mazepin, not uh, Schumacher. My my, my <laughs> apologies to the fans that I were anger. It was a genuine mistake from the <laughs> Russian car. Sorry, the white car. Ah, the, the, the not-so-Russian car after today, because WADA, the World Anti-Doping Agency, said they will not make half change delivery. Oh, God's sake. However, they did say that Haas could have other sanctions brought against them. So anyway, oh. let's go back to Alpha Tauri, where we were. Yuki yeah. Sonoda, I am fully aboard the Sonoda hype train. He is the best thing I've seen come out of that young driver program or in one of those Red Bull seats since Max Verstappen. I think he's, just looking in early days, I think he's got it to be... I wouldn't be surprised if the seats line up okay that Sonoda gets a title before Verstappen. Wow. No, no way. No that way. is a huge statement. I think Sonoda's great. I genuinely think sky's the limit. And I mean, how great would it be for Formula One to have a Japanese champion? I was literally about to bring that point up. Do you remember when Kamui got his podium? Japan, oh, yeah. can, just imagine if he goes in a lead Red Bull team at the front of the grid in a season or two's time. 
just the reaction that that is going to create. Michel Perez isn't going to last in a, in a Red Bull seat. Well, I'm, I'm hoping there will be fans at the Mexican Grand Prix this year, because imagine what that's going to be like in that stadium if he pulls off a good result. <laughs> Mate, I, mean, I think in that stadium, it's going to be crazy regardless. The fact that he's managed to stay in F1, the fact that he managed to bag himself a Red Bull seat, he's icing on the cake. I think if there's a team out there that's flat to deceive in testing, though, it's, uh, it's Red Bull. Uh, I, I think they're just the one that stuff looked good, but I think they are the third fastest team. I think Mercedes are faster and I think McLaren are faster. I mean, you know, and, I'm on the fence for this one. I think Red Bull aren't showing everything. I don't, I, you know, I, th- I don't think Mercedes, Ferrari, Red Bull or McLaren have shown what they've got. Yeah, I think Ferrari. I think they showed. Yeah, I. Ferrari had no choice but to go out and give it their all. Like you mean, I'm not being funny. They didn't even drop the engines off for the for the other people until like the day before. The Ferrari power unit, the Alfa Romeo, was the quickest car of the three Ferrari powered cars. I don't read anything into that. Well, you have just said that you believe that Ferrari had shown all that they. Well, have. no, I think Ferrari have shown all they've got, but at the same time, I don't. When I say Ferrari's shown everything they've got, I mean that I think that car is being pushed the limit. We don't know what the fuel load it was running were. Matteo Bernardo said pre-season that Ferrari engine had fine straight line speed. You know, it was the, mm. the big downfall last season, and he did claim quite vigorously pre-season that this was something that they'd find. I think with with Ferrari in that find the straight line speed. I think there's a big difference we made at Ferrari this season is they can judge the straight line speed a lot better because one of the cars isn't facing sideways all the time. I fit. <laughs> That's it. That's <laughs> it. Uh, so we've lost the Italians and we've lost the Vettel fans. How many like more can Vettel, we lose? Though. I like Vettel. No, no, it's fine because we're going to get the Vettel fans back in the Aston Martin section. Seamlessly on the Aston Martin, that was the by far best looking car it looked great behind the screens that it was always behind because it was always broken <laughs> that is my biggest disappointment so far as you know it's my second disappointment so far testing is i love that car the press shots for that car and the release was amazing and then it goes out and it looks like off color too <laughs> i don't know I'm sorry, but we'll get it, the Aston Martin fans back. He says, "No, I'll no, no." The car looks like a turd. <laughs> it's a really dark, a dark green. I don't know if it's because a sandstorm, bad lighting, <laughs> or all, all these sort of things. Right? I know Chris will disagree, but it looked amazing. It looked like shiny, proper lit up and glowing. Isn't it nice to see a car in a gloss color for once? Well, if you want a car in a gloss colour that actually looks good on circuit, I give you the Alpine. The Alpine looked phenomenal. The Alpine was a very good yeah. car. Let's oh. move on from a livery that we thought looked to actually look very good under the lights, which was the Williams livery. And yeah, it looked I, much I, better than it did in the studio. No. If there was ever a livery, no, we, gave no. more, we gave we gave <laughs> so much stick to that Williams livery. And it deserves it. It looks it ten to It's still It'll be for the season. <laughs> I, like it. I like it. It looks so much better on track than it does in the studio. Right, it looks awful in the studio, but yeah, but it looks better on the track, like marginally, but it's still awful. The only <laughs> good thing to the only good thing to come out of those three days of testing for William is the fact that their clothing looks spot on. I like the clothing. <laughs> the the merch looks good. 
the Williams merch looks good, but the best, I mean, I've looked at the merch this season. And I mean, you see Aston Martin, you've got like their green, like zip up jumpers. Got everyone's got polo shirts, Red Bull polo shirt, Williams polo shirt. But McLaren have pushed the boat out. McLaren have bought out a Hawaiian shirt and it looks phenomenal. I have not seen this. I'm, gonna, I'm, go, I'm, I'm Googling. I am, right I am going to look at this. I bought a Mercedes shirt last week. 65 pounds. Yeah, it's also, it, is also, it is also six, it is the most expensive Hawaiian shirt you'll ever buy. At How much is it? Sixty-five pounds, and it's it's a papaya and uh, cyan Ooh. Hawaiian shirt. You know what? <laughs> I'm not against it, but it what Reese? What do I get if there. I buy that and wear it to the next loud shirt event that we have? <laughs> My respect, because what you've been wearing in, t- in times gone by has been appalling. What, the 80s swirl? If you didn't like the yeah. 80s swirl? The 80s swirl, because it's a loud shirt event and you turn up in a t-shirt. No, it was an actual shirt, the 80s swirl. It wasn't, wasn't a it was, shirt. It wasn't, it was a t-shirt. Uh, but let's get back on the podcast, otherwise we're going to be talking about 80s shirts all night. Oh, have you seen that Mercedes have a Hawaiian shirt? Mercedes have a Hawaiian shirt. They do indeed. And oh. it is black with silver arrows written on it. There's a black Hawaiian shirt with silver arrows written on it. And that's the Mercedes Hawaiian. Has every team got a Hawaiian shirt? I would what? love to see the Alpha Tauri Hawaiian shirt. What, for 200 <laughs> million I found another Hawaiian shirt by Rebel Racing. And this one is red. A sunset red? Yeah, red. Red and black. Do you know what that reminds me of? It reminds me of the testing livery from a few years ago. It it is. It's the testing livery from, like, yeah. We're all talking and pointing and nobody can see it because this is a verbal (laughs) podcast. (laughs) But you can see it, Christopher, can't you? Okay, right. Just for the the non-visual participants within this, it uh, is all black. With red feathers. I really, at some point, hope that they do a Hawaiian theme where the crew members have to wear these shirts. Because, <laughs> because let's be honest, what what was the point? Did did they think we're going to corner the market on Hawaiian approach shirts? Like maybe they just thought we're going to have a really good summer. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'll tell you what, those if they if they made those orange instead, they would sell like crazy for Max. Oh, could you imagine? Could oh, you imagine yeah, if they didn't? McLaren, McLaren are the ones with the orange Hawaiian shirts. Speaking of McLaren, getting us back onto a testing and away from Hawaiian shirts. <laughs> that <laughs> makes me want to drool. That is, oh, it looks great. It sounds great. Everything about McLaren Mercedes feels right. If you look at the standings of how the, the team's finished. McLaren are far enough ahead of the Mercedes to think if Mercedes weren't sandbagging but pick up some speed in the next couple of weeks, they're going to be up there competing for wins. I really hope so. They've got the talent to be up there. And Danny Rick hasn't got all that much over Lando. No, I thought he'd have more on him, but he, he doesn't. I think we've always gone, oh, Lando's like, We've almost number two'd him by accident. Uh, not yeah. even thinking that he's a number two. We thought, oh, Sign's going to be better than Lando. Now I think, oh, Clarence, you, yeah, uh, but I think that's be purely but, because they, but because they they got on so well. They were like best friends. Like you never saw any rivalry from them. Yeah, I, I feel like they had this they had this bromance, but it was a proper. It was almost it was such a bromance. It was almost like a sibling rivalry. They always wanted to beat each other. 
because they knew if they beat the other, they could just give it stick to the other yeah. one until, yeah. uh, until the next race. You can have rivalry with friendship. You know, you are always going to want to beat your teammate. That's the one person you want to beat. Yeah. You never thought watching Lando and Carlos that they'd get in a argy-bargy on track and end up taking each other out like Verstappen and Ricardo did, like Hamilton and Rosberg did. You never Beto saw and, that. Vettel and Webber. Vettel and Webber. Yeah. You look at Lewis and Nico, that just turned toxic. And well, what about uh, Lewis and Alonso? When he when he hold held him up in the pit. Oh, that hungry, was, yes. That was, that was disgusting. Yeah, um, and that was an example of the the Schumacher side of Fernando. I love Fernando as a driver, like to the sport and stuff like that. Amazing guy, but pulling that, I lost respect for him as a person instantly, I, just I in a heartbeat. From the way he treated McLaren, to be honest. Yeah. How oh, do you grass them up and take them go to court and give an evidence against them? What sort of teammate is that? Especially when you consider what happened with Renault yeah, and yeah. the oh, way yeah. that he manipulated <laughs> that team into earning him a win. However, seeing as we didn't really discuss Fernando that much when we did Alpine, he was on it. Fernando was brilliant in testing. I mean, it didn't look like, like he was bothered at all by the, uh, the cycling accident in Switzerland. Interestingly, the client said he needs to have another operation at the end of the season. Yes, they have had. It surprises me that he can last a season without having to have it. Well, look Apparently, at the fracture that remains is on his top jaw and not his bottom jaw. If it was the bottom jaw, he would struggle to get the helmet on. But as it's all in the top jaw and it can be mostly treated to reduce pain in races, it's uh, a lot easier than if it was in the bottom jaw. It's not unheard of in professional sport for someone to play through an injury for a season and then have end of season, off season surgery. It, it's not unheard mm-hmm. of. But I think it was amazing that Fernando, what did he do? Nearly 200 laps or just over 200 laps or something like that? Yeah, like, he's one of the most to, lap drivers. To come out and, you know, do that race distance after being in hospital and surgery and stuff like literally next to no time after, that's amazing. And let's not forget that 0506 throwback helmet. Oh, mate. Oh, it's, it's beautiful. Gorgeous helmet, mate. Like, it's, it, it, it just gets you all sentimental. I absolutely love uh, Fernando's 2005-2006 throwback helmet. I liked everything about that era. And they didn't feel the need with tampering with stuff all the time. And I feel that's what they're doing with these sprint races that are coming up. And they've confirmed on the weekend that they want these to take place. Uh, uh, I think it's Silverstone, Monza and Interlagos. I don't like it. I think if you're going to do it, the format is all wrong. Because and for me, someone who's not going to go to every race and who's going to be working most Fridays, missing qualifying, the shootout qualifying is so fun to watch because you see everyone absolutely going for it. And you're not going to get that in the sprint race. They're not going to be having cars going for it flat out every single lap. I think if you're going to run this format, you don't run it in the way they say they're going to. Qualifying Saturday morning. Exactly that. You want to do your shootout qualifying to set your sprint grid on the qualifying on Saturday morning. And then Saturday afternoon, sprint race. That can be a sprint race or it can set your grid for the Grand Prix on Sunday. Use Friday for testing. You're not depriving the TV audience in any way if you just use Friday for testing still. And you still got track time, track access. You buy race weekend tickets, you go to the track, and on the Friday you can go in all the grandstands and you can go around. Mm. Brilliant. But I don't know if you'll be able to do that if you've got set qualifying on a Friday and then sprint race Saturday 
I don't. I think it just takes away from the weekend, as just from every spectator's point of view. As someone that's got tickets for Silverstone, I've no interest in seeing this this extra race. You know, we've got enough um, support races, which is being added to this season, I think, by the W Series. It's not being added to, it's being intermixed, isn't it? Because Silverstone will not have a Formula 3 race, but it will have a W Series race. I, d- I don't think we need to have another race added onto the ca- added onto the race weekend schedule. And to be honest, I'm not interested in seeing a race where a grid that's already been set up by qualifying with the fastest cars at the front, they'll have a race to see if the fastest car that's at the front can still be fast enough to be out in the front to qualify first for the next race. Yeah. It's stupid. And if they're going to do it, we have to increase the amount of engines and gearboxes that the cars are going to get. I do agree with you. I sold my thunder. They're already... That's what I was going to say. Too few engines this season. It's just the whole... The whole system feels broken if you're going to do it that way. It, you don't gain anything. And you look at it, you think, oh, yeah, all the fast cars are at the front. The other issue, and they're saying, oh, we need to do these sprint races to mix up the order and get more overtaking on track and things like that. Every Grand Prix you watch, the lull in the action is from laps 5 to 20. If you're doing a 20-lap sprint race, you're still going to get five good laps at the start and then... 20 dull, and then 15 dull laps at the end where everyone's following each other and looking after their tyres because they want them to because in the sprint race they're all going to want the medium compound tyre which they're going to run to last the duration of the sprint race I think that it isn't a bad idea but I think it's going to it's going to come with too many downfalls to make it competitive like one Chris brought up the, the, the engine who is going to absolutely spank their engine for a 100km race and have it blow up effectively twice as quick. It's just, it's, it's pointless. Um, and, the, and the reverse grid, what, what, is, what is the point? To show that your car can go through traffic? Well, that they're not doing a reverse grid. That's the issue. If they were doing yeah, it... Yeah, the thought, issue with it for me is that I there is no reverse grid reverse. in this. Yeah, there's no third and then it sets the grid. Yeah. I thought they were doing reverse grids. My apologies. And also, why no podium? If you're putting on the whole... Oh, there is a podium. There is a podium. Uh, as, a top, podium. as a top three, no. only the top three cars will get points. No, no podium. No, no, no. no, no there's no, no podium no. celebration in the context of champagne and a presentation. It's just yes. the, they get the points. I like, I like the idea because they're basically holding on to the fact that Generation Z have the attention span of a four-minute YouTube video. So they're trying to do, 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 do something that entices them into the sport to watch that and then go, well, maybe I could sit through 75 laps of this instead of just 20. But I just think, are they going to get any actual decent racing or is it just going to be the top four teams check out, take the points, see you later? And, and, then, we're, and, and then we're looking at a, a situation where nobody can catch Lewis even close if he ends up checking out. Yeah, well, you, yeah. you think if, if it's like if it's anything like last season, you'd be like, oh, okay, we've got three sprint races. Okay, who gets points? The top three cars. Okay, well, that's Hamilton, Verstappen, Bottas then. Anyway. Okay. Should we do some season predictions? Yeah, sounds good. Let's yeah. go. We'll follow the same risk. Uh, we'll follow the same safe, risky, ridiculous format we did for uh, testing. Uh, Chris, do you want to go with a safe prediction first? 
my safe prediction is that Red Bull will be a challenger this season. A race or an actual full season? Like, you think they can challenge for the titles? Full season. I like it. I don't know. I think for me, that's the third best team there. But I'd like to, I, if anyone can challenge Mercedes all season long, I welcome it. Definitely, yeah. Yeah, I, I just, I, I just, I'm not convinced that Mercedes are where they need to be at the minute. And that when, when Mercedes are not where they're meant to be, Lewis will drop his head. And equally, when Mercedes are not where they want to be, more than more often than not, Verstappen is there to pick up the pieces yeah. in the last oh, season. Yeah. Well, this season, they've also got Perez, who is an expert in picking up the pieces. If there is something to be gained, Perez finds it. If it's yeah. a podium or even a win, as we've now seen, they'll find <laughs> it. Yeah. My safe prediction for uh, the, the season is I think that McLaren are going to be consistently fighting for podiums. I, re- I realistically think that. Man, he stole mine. Um, because <laughs> I think they're coming to that fifth year of their, of their uh, you know, that five-year plan that they spoke about. I think they're finally getting it all together. And I think they're now, you know, you've got that safeness in Danny Rick and you've got that youngness in, in Lando that I think, I, I realistically think that they're going to be pushing past Ferrari. And I think that they're going to be fighting with Red Bull and uh, Mercedes at the top. To be fair. I agree. Yeah, yeah I agree. agree. If they get it early enough in the season, they've got that great big spot on the side of their, their car for on their engine cover for a new sponsor. Yeah, and, and there you go. And we've just set up rich energy again. <laughs> we, 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 we just can't stop helping these poor guys out. Email PR at Rich Energy. <laughs> That's it, yeah. That's, my safe prediction is before the final race of the season, Formula One will not run the sprint race format going forth in the way they currently will. They'll either ditch it altogether or bring in a reverse grid. Fair. Yeah. We've I, already discussed I, that I, I in depth. That, yeah. But yeah, that's my safe prediction. I think that that's not going to happen next season, uh, 2022, in the way that it's going to happen this year. Yeah, okay. I agree with that. Okay, mm. my safe prediction is going to be that George Russell will score points in a Williams. Points? Plural? <laughs> yeah, points plural in a Williams. I think because they are ahead of Haas, and Haas managed to score points plural last season, I think, I think they were with, now there. With experienced drivers, but carry on. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, George Russell got plenty of experience now. Was he fourth, third, fourth season? Third season, yeah. Third, third, se- third season. Last series season of his contract. Bottas is only a one-year extension as well. Both, both of them are only on one year. They've got three drivers on one-year contracts, Mercedes, and they can yeah. pick who they want. Some would say that any two of the three could match up and be in there. Really, it's Hamilton if he wants to stay, and I don't see it being Bottas over Russell unless Bottas wins the World Championship or at least pushes Hamilton to the final race. Well, Bottas needs to be within 100 points of Hamilton. This shows <laughs> okay. Uh, risky prediction, Chris. Um, my risky opinion is that every driver is going to score a point this season. Even the Haas? Even the... Because um, the Haas, I mean, if you looked at... I think one... And I out. think there'll be one of those races where it'll happen. Yeah, a rain race or something. Or a, or a nutty Baku. 
Would yeah. you and Matty back yeah. it? Yeah, well, something like that. that. There'll be that opportunity for every driver yeah. to get a point this season. Good shout, good shout. Dan? I think we have a very, very, very strong chance of seeing Jensen Button race that Williams in a natural race weekend. I'm just thinking, because obviously, you know, we're still fighting COVID and, you know, and you look at what happened last season with Lewis going out, you know, what what happens if Lewis and Bottas get COVID or food poisoning? You, you know, we've been shown that they're going to instantly take George away. But like, yeah, cheers, Williams. We're having George now. And I just think that, you know, he's, he's going to end up having a race. But you're, so you're saying Jensen gets in that car ahead of... Jack Aitken, who is the reserve driver, who did a who did a good job in Bahrain. I don't know if Nassani has a super license though. Maybe that. Um, I think he actually earned it this weekend because Nassani, of the mileage he did in the yeah. Williams. I think his laps coming towards his super license. Yeah, for, for yeah, I think that's um, why he was there on Friday. Does Jensen still? I, have, I like, think has he raced recently enough to keep it? I just think his advisory role is. Uh, I I think he's there to push them. And that he will get a job driving that car to show the young ones how it's done. Grace, uh, what's your risky? My risky prediction is we will see Yuki Tsunoda on the podium. I think he could, in a crazy race, be the guy who picks up the podium. I, I think uh, there's a a race where there's a late red flag or uh, multiple safety cars or even a wet race. I think we could see him pick up a podium. I don't think that's risky. I don't even think that's risky. I think it's a shooter. Really? I think that Alcatari is closer to them when it was last year. Yeah, but like I said earlier on, I think that Sonoda is a real deal. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I I, I think you're completely on the hype train. Mm. Mm. My risky prediction is that we're going to have five different teams win races or more. Five or more? Five or more. So I think Mercedes, McLaren, Red Bull, I think are all going to win races. And I think you're going to get two of the rest that win races as well. well you, Whether that's Alpha Tauri and Aston. Did we get four last season, didn't we? Four different teams. Yeah, and I think this season it's going to be five or more. And I don't include Ferrari in that list. Chris, what's your ridiculous prediction? Mine ridiculous, I don't think is actually that ridiculous. But I think Marzipan, again, will finish above Schumacher in the standards. I think that's, that is not a bad prediction because... Uh, Schumacher has shown us he takes a you know two years to get used to the car and well, you know if 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 Schumacher's out doing then there's gonna be some Russian sniper. <laughs> oh my god, Schumacher's all four tires have exploded at once. <laughs> <laughs> Red dots and then they, they just exploded. <laughs> all right. Uh yeah, Dan, your ridiculous prediction. My ridiculous prediction is that Aston Martin's gearboxes will last all season. <laughs> <laughs> and they, they, got, they, they, they actually run the Mercedes <laughs> gearbox. So that's... A, that's I'm not, a, I'm not hopeful awesome. on Mercedes gearboxes either after testing. That's funny. I'm, uh, I, I'm sorry. If you've done one media day in six laps and you've got to change your gearbox, it's not going to bode well. Reese, your outlandish prediction. My ridiculous prediction is because I don't think it will happen, but if I could have predicted it, is Fernando Alonso will get three or more podiums this season. Be a lot of tattoos. Go <laughs> <laughs> on, Tim. Um, for my one, we're going proper outlandish, so I'm going to throw it in there. Daniel Ricciardo, 2021 world champion. Bring it Win on. It. In a McLaren. Too far out of it. In a, in a McLaren. Come I, on. 
I think that's safer. Than, I think that's safer than my risky prediction. I don't think so because I think I think at the moment it's between Max and Lewis, and I think Max might even be the favourite after this. I think mm. McLaren could be there. Yeah. Anyway, shall we? Um... We'll move on. One last item in this episode of the Formula One Fans UK podcast. Sad news that broke on the weekend with Murray, Murray Walker. Everyone at Formula One Fans UK was deeply saddened to learn about the passing of Murray Walker at the age of 97. Mm-hmm. Simply put, Murray is a legend of Formula One. He is Mr. Formula One. He, the voice to generations of Formula One. His Murrayisms and enthusiasm, they brought joy to everyone tuning in. And uh, even after his retirement, he made time for fans and the sport. He really was an exceptional broadcaster and a role model to everyone. Guys, what are your memories of Murray Walker? Um, I first started watching Formula One in 94. And I was channel hopping. And I flicked over BBC Two Grandstand, I think it was. And all I heard was this excitable, squeaky voice. And I was like, what's that? <laughs> and all it was, it's Senna. Senna spun. He's out the race. <laughs> and I was like, oh, it's interesting. And that was it. You know, he had me hooked. And um, I'll never, I'll never forget Damon winning the championship in 96. And, uh. and what Murray had to say for that lap leading up to the end and um, that, that was my favourite memory of Murray um, alongside his pizza hot advert with Damon Hill it's <laughs> <laughs> uh, Hill <laughs> have you ever watched him commentating on the snooker uh, <laughs> and here is Roddy O'Sullivan <laughs> I've yeah. um and bang, he's missed it. He's missed it. Incredible. I am. Uh, I've met a lot of people on personalities in Formula One, and he was the one I always wanted to meet and never got the chance to. And that that'll always, always grind with me. Uh I think it was like ninety six, ninety seven. Something like that. When it that that was one of the first F one races that I ever watched. I uh, had to stay at the grandparents, uh, God rest their souls, um, over the weekend, and I got into introduced to Formula One and the the passion that evidently comes along with it with my granddad. And um, I think it was, uh maybe the Spanish Grand Prix. Um, with Michael Schumacher, and obviously they were like following Schumacher, and I'm like, who's Schumacher? Who's who is this? Um, yeah, I think that was the first instance like of how hyped a sport could be by just one person, and how much of a like an emphasis that one person can bring to the energy and the passion and all that kind of stuff towards the sport. Um, and then, yeah, it's just, I just, obviously I watched him on TV till like 2001, uh, following through with like ITV and stuff like that. It's just, it's just one of them people that 
you're just never going to forget from Formula One, no matter how long we get. It's kind of an, uh, uh, another Nicky Lauda situation, where it's like, you've got to respect what they did for the sport. You know, he was very passionate. I, I think he would struggle to find a presenter that's going to have the longevity and success and re- just basic rapport with people that he that that he's going to have or had sorry that that that, that he had um yeah and it's obviously it's a very sad thing to to to, to lose him and it, you know to lose two names of the sport quite close together as well um from the that kind of classic f1 days but yeah it's just it it, it takes you like right back to like grassroots Formula One, I think. Yeah. Uh, similar to Daniel, in a sense that my grandparents on my mum's side were the people who got me into Formula One, and my mum through them basically. And I am a bit younger than Daniel and Chris, so I don't quite remember. Well, I have vague. I convinced myself that I remember Murray's commentary in his last few years of broadcasting. But as a younger child, you question whether or not the uh, whether or not you actually remember them accurately or not. The one I definitely remember is 2001 when Schumacher went over Ralph Schumacher went over the top of Barrichello at uh, Australia in the opening race. That's my first death solid memory of him. But then also just looking back at old clips and also not just for his F1 work, his work for motorsport in Britain in general. Like one of my favourite clips of him is was Gabriella Tarquini in the touring cars and you're watching another load of cars and then suddenly Tarquini's car just flips in front of the camera at close range and you see Murray's excited and astonished and shocked reaction and he had the reaction of a fan and not the react. A lot of the time it felt like you were watching with F1's number one fan, not F1's number one media broadcaster and that's what drew you to him because he would go... Exactly, yeah. If I am... If, if, if someone who is a fan of the sport can portray their love for the sport in this way, then there must be something about this sport or this genre of sport in the form of motor racing that is worth watching and is worth being there for. And then I think actually one of my one of the definite Murray memories that I have is the Nürburgring race at 2007, the famous Marcus Winkle Hawk seven cars in the gravel at turn one. Murray Walker was on the red button that day for BBC covering the radio coverage. <laughs> and if you ever listen back to that clip, it's much more interesting than the uh, ITV broadcaster's clip of it. <laughs> it was absolutely incredible. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's just, I, I don't think F1 just lost a broadcaster. I think F1 and motorsport lost its number one fan, which for the following of any sport or any team is just a very sad day. Yeah, I think for me, I started watching Formula One in uh, around 2003, 2004. Young uh, so <laughs> I missed the, uh, the live moments of Murray brilliance. Um, but being brought up in that early 2000s fan, you knew about Murray Walker in like with the guys here saying it's grandparents that got us into Formula One. It would be watching classic F1 with my nan on the red button, Murray Walker commentating over 
fist fights between drivers and how <laughs> how terrible it was and it just it just shows the reach Murray Walker had um, in the sense that me being someone who didn't watch Formula One when Murray was the commentator knows so much about him it just shows that he really like I said in uh, like I said he he was Mr Formula One uh, excuse me while I interrupt myself um, we're gonna end this episode with uh, impressions or reciting our favorite Murray Walker lines um, as they were so iconic uh, Tim would you like to start there's a fiery glow coming out from the back of that Ferrari, to which James Hunt responds, no, Murray, that's his rear safety light. I <laughs> 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 love it. All right, uh, Daniel? Uh, my one is, there are seven winners of the Monaco Grand Prix on the starting line today, and four of them are Michael Schumacher. <laughs> Brilliant. Reith? Uh, just, <laughs> for me... Uh... It's uh, 1990. It's uh, the race has just started in Japan. It's the final race of the season, and uh, Senna is trying to go through the inside, and it's happened immediately. This is amazing, <laughs> and it was. <laughs> Chris, um, funny one. I liked that's history. I say history because it happened in the past. <laughs> <laughs> oh, brilliant. <laughs> But obviously, being a Hill fan, um, and it's the one that, that that strikes a note with everybody at the minute, and I probably will choke up. But um, I've got to stop because I've got a lump in my throat, and that just says it all. Yeah, perfect. Um, I think there's a Murray Walker quote which sums up literally our last two podcasts of I want to say so much more than I have time for. I think that literally sums up our whole entire recording session in one yeah. final Murray Walker quote. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Formula One Fans UK podcast. If you want to find out more about us, you can find us on Facebook as Formula One Fans UK. Or if you're on Twitter or on Instagram, we are at Formula One Fans UK. That's with the number one. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you very much, Mario Walker. Until next time, goodbye. <laughs> <laughs>